Hello and welcome to St. Paul's United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew, and if you want to find out more about our church, you can find us online, www.cherokeemethodist.com. There you can find uh, the latest bulletin, newsletters, and learn about events that are coming up in the church. You can also check us out in person. During the summer, we have worship at 9.30. Now, We are continuing our summer sermon series that we started last week on the minor prophets. And just to remind you, the minor prophets are called minor because they are shorter books than the major prophets. There truly is no deep theological reason for it. It's just the length of the books. These are found at the end of the Old Testament. Oftentimes, they are ignored or overlooked because they are small. Now, last week we talked about Hosea, which is actually a decent length for a minor prophet. It's 14 chapters long. But Joel, the one that we're looking at today, is very short at only three chapters. I mean, blink and you'll miss it. Now, many people are unsure of the setting of Joel, but some think that it's probably somewhere in the 5th century B.C. And in the book, the prophet Joel seems to be describing a plague of locusts, which is not a small deal. This was a devastating plague that destroyed all crops, so there's no food for animals. There's a drought at the same time. I mean, it's just a devastation on the land. And in an age where you can't get your food shipped from all over the world to your local grocery store, this was a life and death situation. Of course, a question we have to ask right away is, was this a literal plague or an invading army? In other words, are locusts a metaphor for an invading army, or it... Are the images of an army a metaphor for the locusts? Well, we don't know for sure, because the text is vague enough and seems to imply both at certain points, so it's inconclusive. The general thought, though, is that he's probably describing a literal locust plague that either was happening right then or it happened recently. But some would say otherwise, but either way, it's a devastating time, and for the point of the sermon, we will assume that he's talking about a locust plague. Now, Joel believes that the plagues have been sent due to an unspecified sin. They don't say why. Perhaps it's just the general waywardness of the people going after other gods. You know, that's similar to the context of Hosea and most of the other prophets, so it seems plausible. Um, So he says this locust plague is caused by their sin, and the day of the Lord is coming. Uh, When you see the words day of the Lord in the Bible, think judgment day. It's the day of judgment. Now, at one time in their history, the Israelites thought that the day of the Lord was a good thing because it was the time when justice would be served and their enemies would get their just, you know, what they deserve. But lately, some had viewed it as a bad thing because they knew they needed judging too. So it was seen as a day of darkness and dread. And they didn't want this to happen, obviously. So Joel exhorts them to a period of lamentation and public communal repentance. To lament means to grieve. For them, of course, they'd be grieving the plague and what they believed God might do if the day of the Lord was coming, and they would also repent their uh, lament or grieve of their sin and their going astray. So I want to spend just another brief moment on this idea of the day of the Lord or the day of judgment. Because oftentimes we have certain ideas of what the day of judgment is like, but in Joel and in pretty much most of the Old Testament. The day of judgment is not an afterlife, end of history type thing where some people go to heaven and some people to go to hell. In fact, at that time, few, if any, 
um, Jewish people had a concept of the afterlife. The soul was not seen as a, something that can survive apart from the body. There is no soul. Uh, your body is animated by the breath of God, and when that breath of God stops, your body is no longer animated. Kind of stark, I know, but that's what they believed at the time. And so judgment here and in all of the prophetic books refers to ecological disaster of the land through plagues or invading armies that are sent by God. And they want to avoid all this. And the good news is it's not too late. Even now, Joel says, repentance is possible because God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. See, God's not all wrathful in the Old Testament. Remember also that in Hosea, we learn that God didn't want to punish them, but to restore them. And good news, it wasn't too late. And indeed, they lamented, they repented, and God relented and brought restoration. Of course, for them, restoration meant health of the land, crops, rain, etc. Everything that was needed for abundant life. So in the Old Testament, judgment and restoration are very agricultural terms. It's very much tied to the land. So after describing in some detail agricultural prosperity for the land, Joel then states that after this happens, God's Spirit will be poured out on all people. And this section of Scripture is what oftentimes, well, it is what's quoted by the disciples to make sense of their experience in Acts chapter 2 during Pentecost when they received the Holy Spirit. And so Joel spends some time describing the giving of the Holy Spirit, and then he moves on to a vision of the end. He says, in those days and at that time, after just speaking about the giving of the Holy Spirit. No wonder the disciples thought the end was near. <laughs> but again, the vision of the end is not the vision we assume. It's not an afterlife time of judging for heaven and hell. It's not even the end of time. Time continues on a restored earth where Judah and Israel are on top of the political map while the other nations are desolate. And the nations are judged for their role in the attack and exile of their people. In some ways, it can be a disturbing eye-for-an-eye type thing where vengeance is given and only their nation prospers at the end. But later visions of the end include the possibility of other nations being okay and bringing riches into the city of Jerusalem and thus being more inclusive of foreigners. Of course, this is all metaphorical language, so let's not take this literally. Um, but anyway, this may be true for Joel too, it's just not mentioned. So what does Joel have to say to us today? As I said, it's kind of a similar theme as Hosea, the importance of repentance. Obviously, we live in a different world than that of Joel. Joel's world was one in which science wasn't even a thing yet. Anything that couldn't be understood naturally was assumed to be directly caused by God. So invading armies, locust plagues, physical illness, mental illness, anything bad is seen as a sign of God's judgment for sin. Now, Jesus pushes back on this line of thinking somewhat. There was a time where there was a blind man, and the disciples asked why the person was born blind. Did uh, the person sin or his parents sin? Jesus says, it's not because of sin. You see, Jesus didn't view suffering as punishment, but instead sought to heal those who were suffering. And today we understand so much more about weather patterns, germs, and we understand so much more about mental illness, that to assume that such things are automatically sent by God to punish someone is presumptuous and potentially cruel, only adding fuel to the fire of the person's suffering. Mm -hmm. So I would advise against it. 
Nonetheless, even in our world of science and advances in knowledge, we can still heed the call of God to repent. The Christian journey of discipleship is a continual process of becoming more and more like Christ. You see, it's not a one-and-done type thing after you commit your life to Christ. Discipleship is a lifelong journey of becoming more Christ-like. And you know, when we first dedicate our lives to Christ, we may not be aware of all of our sins or our weaknesses right away, but in time those may be revealed to you. When they are, lament and repent. Lament them, grieve them, and then turn away and turn towards God. Lament and repent. We should always be moving along the path of Christ-likeness. You know, hopefully you are not the same person you were five years ago. Hopefully you are more Christ-like now than you were five years ago. And hopefully you're not the same person that you will be five years from now. Hopefully you will be more Christ-like five years from now than you are now. It's a journey. But while you're on that journey, don't forget to spend that time in self-reflection, letting God reveal to you your sin through life's experiences. And yes, sometimes those can be revealed through disaster, but whatever the case, however they are revealed, lament, repent, and grow closer to Christ. Amen. God bless and have a great week.